We talked about uh, a few things. I just want to ask real quick, see how our uh, memory is doing. Uh, what is, we talked a little bit about revelation. What did we define revelation as? Does anybody remember? Revelation is what? God what? With truth. Well, God's divine plan, but it's a good guess. Revelation, we said, was God communicating truth, right? God communicating truth. We said if God did not communicate who he was, we'd never know who he was, all right? God communicates truth. God, in other words, lets us know that he is real. He lets us know that he is our creator. And we said, number one, that there's one kind of revelation called general revelation. And we said that you can look at creation. You can look at the sun, moon, and stars. You can look at our world. You can study the human body. And you'll know that it has a designer. Someone had to create our bodies. Someone had to create by the complexities of our universe means there must have been a creator. The order that we see, the structure that we see just reveals to us that there is a creator. There is a design behind it all, which means there is a designer. Then we talked about God communicating who he is personally through what is called special revelation, which is, number one, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that the word who is God became flesh and dwelt among us. We said that Jesus Christ is God incarnate. God became flesh and came this, to this world and dwelt among us. And so we know about God through Jesus Christ. He communicated who he was. But the second way we know about God specifically, like what God's character is like, what we know about God's uh, love is like, we, we can see how great God's power is and how intricate and complex God is through the universe, through the creation. But you'll never know that God loves you just because you see a moon or stars at night. You'll never know that not only God is a loving God, but God is a faithful God. That God is a God that provides for you and me. You don't know all of that without special revelation, without Jesus Christ himself coming to this earth and revealing who he is, and by the word of God telling us who God is. So those are what we call the two types of revelation, general and special. We said revelation is God communicating truth about himself. And then we studied about inspiration. Does anybody remember what inspiration was defined as? Inspiration, to refresh your memories, is God recording truth. Okay? It's one thing for God to uh, reveal himself. It's another thing to do it 2,000 years later and then 5,000 years later. How do we know? Well, God would have to record the truth, his truth. So the only way that we know there is absolute truth that we can trust and that we can believe is when you look at the fact that God has recorded that truth for us. And that's what we call inspiration. The inspiration of the Bible means that God has recorded the Bible for you and for me. 
And uh, then we studied how it is accurate, and it has to be accurate for us to be able to believe it. Well, throughout the study, we've been talking about those major truths, and the other truth that we began last week, uh, or two weeks ago, I should say, to learn about was a, a truth called the canonicity of Scripture. Uh, how do we know that it is accurately given to us? How do we know that the Bible that we read is the same one that Jeremiah read and that, uh, what was written by the prophets over 2,000 years ago when they didn't have computers and they didn't have cell phones and they didn't have any uh, modern machinery to record and to copy uh, the Word of God like we do today. We even have it on our phones. How do we know that what we're reading is what they read? Uh, and we, we, we talked about uh, the canonicity of Scripture, how we know that it came to be, this is the Word of God, how uh, we could recognize that. And I, uh, we talked about this uh, two weeks ago. I said, we don't decide what is truth, but we recognize what truth is. Just like we do not make someone to be a great athlete, we just recognize an athlete that is great. We do not make people great poets and great authors, but you can read their work and you can recognize their greatness. The same thing applies to the Word of God. We don't just decide, well, uh, the uh, book of Matthew, that's, that's God's Word. No, no, we recognize that it's God's Word. We don't make Matthew just suddenly become that. We just recognize that. And then we talked about how it got recorded accurately, and that's where we left off. So I want to talk about that real quick in your notes. And this is going to be near the bottom of your notes, all right? Near the bottom where it's going to be the composition of the Bible. It's probably the last little major section, and I'll, I'll even do the next one so you can see it. On page number five, composition of the Bible. The copies of the Old Testament text as well as the New Testament text are very reliable despite not being the originals. Now, we talked about this a few weeks ago. We said that the Bible that I hold in my hand, this is not the first one that was written. This is not the original copy of the Bible. But I can tell you that what I have in my hand has been preserved by God. That this is the uh, word that was given to Paul is the same word that I have and can study today. And this is what we call uh, the, the, uh, the composition of the Bible, the text of the Bible, and how it came to be that we have it in the English language or the Spanish language and how we can read and study it. The originals in the Old Testament uh, were written in Hebrew. The originals in the New Testament were written in Greek. Now let me just say that I am so thankful for people that have really high academic studies that are able to translate the Greek language to the English language, okay? Most of us in here, if not all of us, don't really speak Greek very well, and we don't speak Hebrew at all. <laughs> but there are those that do that helped translate the Word of God. And in fact, let me just uh, tell you that the Hebrew that is written in the Old Testament is not the same Hebrew that is spoken today. The Greek of the New Testament is not the same Greek spoken today. Now, there are words that uh, the people that speak Greek uh, would use that are the same in the uh, New Testament, but the flow of the language and the way they speak would not be the same as in the New Testament. Uh, and that's important to understand. The way that 
you can somewhat understand it is this way. If we lived in, uh, in 1850 or 1750, if you listen to the English that they spoke, it's nothing like the English that we speak today. Even though there are some words that they would use that we would use as well, but it's a lot of change in language. Language has a lot of change. In fact, uh, there is a, uh, a quote by Queen Elizabeth when she was uh, visiting, I think it was uh, one of the cathedrals, the big churches there in Europe, and she said, wow, this building is awful. Now, when we hear that, we think ugly, terrible, no good. But back then, the word awful means to be full of awe. It was like wonderful, amazing, breathtaking. Now, even though she's speaking English and we're speaking English, it's like we're not even talking the same language, right? Because what she's describing, we would, not, we would not take it that way because language changes. Now, because of that, how can we trust that this is God's word? How can I trust that this hasn't changed? Language changes. How do I trust that this did not change? Well, this is what we want to talk about uh, in, in today's lesson rather quickly. The composition, we can know and we, uh, we can study and it is reliable. Why? We can believe this because of the history of the development. The history of the development of the Bible. All right? Uh, let's talk a little bit about what was the process that they used back then, since they didn't have typewriters, they didn't have spell check, how do we know that they accurately were copying God's word for us? Real, real, real quick in your notes, number one, the Masoretes were in charge of copying the text and did so with great care and strict rules for their work. The Old Testament is known as the Masoretic text. All right. And uh, having a text is not something new. It's not something that's only in the Bible. How many of you all have studied about Hammurabi's uh, laws? Anybody? Great. Hammurabi? No? Anybody? No? Some of you, a few of you have. That was old, ancient, like Babylonish. Um, and uh, it, it's one of the oldest laws written text of the rule of law in civilization. Uh, texts are not exclusively for the Bible. Texts are just written things that were done throughout history. Okay, we've got all kinds of texts that were written. We've got texts from uh, civilizations in Roman uh, of the Roman Empire, of the Grecian Empire. We have texts of uh, what the Japanese and the Chinese life was like 2,000 years ago. You've got texts on a lot of cultures over a lot of different issues. Text is just a written document, okay? That's what a text is, a written document. Now, the Word of God was written in words, and it's a document. There are texts that were passed on from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. Now, if I were to ask you to copy by hand someone's work, there's a good chance, if I said, I need you to copy 80 pages of the person next to you's work or of this book, there's a good chance, if we all did that right now, there's a good chance that some of us would might miss a word, misspell a word, leave a sentence out, maybe miss the page and not go to the next page. Uh, maybe uh, if, you, if we were to take everyone's copies and read them, you'll find that not all of them would be the same. There would be different mistakes in each one. 
So how do we know that the Word of God didn't have those same mistakes? Well, the Masoretes were the ones in charge of doing the copies. And they were so strict in what they were doing because they wanted to be sure that they were copying it exactly the way it was given to them. So, real quick, how did they do this? Well, for example, they counted the number of letters in a book and made sure the copy had the exact same number. They found in, in, in the Hebrew letter, the letter Aleph, which is like the letter A, it was found 42,377 times in their manuscripts. Now, after they copied the whole manuscript, they would count how many letter A's there are. And if it did not add up to 42,377, they would throw it all away. Now, that seems a little bit insane. I think if I would have counted 42,376, I'm just adding an A somewhere. <laughs> I'm not throwing away my work. But their rules stated you'd have to throw it all away and do it all over again. Uh, they had these kind of rules. In fact, they had uh, rules that would state that uh, if it began to have a little bit of wear in it, like if the paper started crumbling a little bit, started tearing a little bit, they would just throw away the scroll and do it all over, get a brand new one. They wanted to make sure that what they passed on was exactly, exactly the same as the previous generation. And so they had all these strict rules to make sure that that happened. Now, in the New Testament, uh, as I said, it was in Greek. Now, <clears throat> as the Hebrew people were taken captive, many of them were taken captive many times. Remember, if you, if you recall, uh, the uh, Persian Empire took them captive. The Babylonian Empire took them captive. The Greek Empire took them captive. And through all of that, as you have the next generation being born in captivity, having to learn the new culture, the new language, that means that there's going to be some people that don't speak the language very well. Now, we can understand that in our culture real easily down here. How many know or have a friend that is Hispanic like you and me, but their grandparents speak English, and they themselves, they don't speak, I mean, their grandparents speak Spanish, but they don't speak Spanish. Anybody have a friend like that, that you know somebody at school? or Okay, quite a few of us. Now, why is it that their grandparents don't speak English, and the grandson doesn't speak Spanish? Why does that happen? Is it because the, grand, the grandkids are really dumb? <laughs> uh that's funny because a lot of them have better grades than you and me. So how is it that they're so not so smart? I can guarantee you they do. But listen, it's not because of lack of knowledge. It's not because of laziness. What happens is you grow up in a different culture. And when you adapt to that culture, okay, then you got to learn the language. That happens rather regularly. In fact, America is one of the few places where you can find a large segment of population speaking only one language. You go to Europe and most Europeans speak four to five languages. Now the reason they do that is because they have to. They have to get around for their commerce. In America, we don't. So this idea of why they had to do this in the Greek for the Bible, it's, it's pretty common sense 
for you and I. We can understand that. Okay, they're growing up in different cultures, had to learn different languages. So now think about it. Now there's a grandson. He doesn't speak Hebrew like his grandparents. He grew up in the Grecian Empire. How is he going to read this when he doesn't read the language and doesn't know the language? Then it's got to be translated. So the first translation from Hebrew to Greek of the Old Testament is called the Septuagint, okay? The Septuagint, and the reason is, is the, the, the word Septuagint means 70, and uh, there were 70 scholars that worked on this translation, all right? 70 grammar gurus, experts, whatever you want to call them, uh, that started doing that. That's why it's known as the Septuagint. So uh, they got the Greek, and they got the Hebrew text, all right, from the Masoretes, and they began to copy and translate it into the Greek. Now, as I said, tradition says 70 Hebrew scholars translated it, and that's why it's known as a Septuagint, or you'll see it sometimes if you study your Bible, you'll find that uh, if you have a study Bible, you'll find that in the notes sometimes it talks about the LXX, the Septuagint, and what it's talking about is the translation of the Hebrew to the Greek. All right, so for many, many generations, when they would read the Old Testament, they would read it in the Septuagint, okay? They read it in the Greek, because that's what they spoke best. Now, real quick, in your notes, as we continue studying the history of this, the New Testament also has a history of its manuscripts, though we no longer have the originals. There are different manuscripts that are used. Number one, the papyrus manuscripts. Number two, the unseal manuscripts. Number three, the minuscule manuscripts. And then, of course, number four, the Greek manuscripts. These are all texts that were used in the, old, in the New Testament, okay? Once again, they didn't have printing presses. They couldn't just print them all easily like that, so they had to write it down. Most of these were taken from church to church, okay? So, letters of Paul, like when Paul wrote the letter to Ephesus, all right, or the, what we know as the book of Ephesians, when he wrote that, he wrote that, and then they were to take it from the church, let's just say Bethany Baptist Church, and then they were going to take it over there on Three Mile and Sherry to Faith Baptist Church, and then they were going to read it and study it there. Now, obviously, through that time, they were asking people, hey, if you can copy this letter, please copy this letter, and then take that copy to Maranatha Baptist Church. And that way, all these churches here, we have this letter, the Word of God, the book of Ephesians, and we can study it together and grow together. That's how it worked. That's why you had all these manuscripts for uh, the New Testament. They're not as fortunate as we are to just have it like this. The first, second, third century, they didn't just have books like we do like this, a book with all the books of the Bible. They didn't have that. And so that's how they used to do that with these manuscripts. We have ran out of time. I really want to get into the next subject, which is the illumination of the Bible. We'll talk about that in two, uh, in two weeks. We have a special Wednesday next week. In two weeks, we'll talk about the illumination of the Bible. It'll be something that will be challenging, hopefully explained. It'll be the last section that we have on the Word of God. And then we'll review it, and then we'll go into the work of God afterwards. All right?